0: Greetings, Minecrafters, and welcome to another hopefully interesting and hopefully uh, stimulating discussion. Another Minecraft discussion. My name is Kimberly Quinn, and I am very thrilled uh, to be here with you on this morning, on this on this gift of another day of life minutes for us to to talk about embracing your own generativity as a superpower. And right away, before I even get going here, I I definitely want to do a shout out to Susan Krause Whitburn, uh, who writes for Psychology Today, because she was my inspiration for this morning with this. Um, And that said, I want to, it also is bringing me to a place of of thinking about balance, because we're talking about generativity, giving of ourselves, putting other people first, which is so important. And also, in fact, I'm doing a, a, a presentation in a couple of weeks for the Vermont Women's women in leadership. And it's about, you know, being filled up and we can't give what we don't have. And so they actually are not um, opposites. They, they are go together because we cannot give what we don't have means, which means we need to really be focused on filling ourselves up every day in every way. And that said, we're not talking, when we do that, we're talking about fill our filling ourselves up authentically also, so that we are also able to give to other people without being, you know, depleted ourselves. It's kind of like we're channeling all this energy and love and kindness kind of thing. Um, I know that in Chinese medicine, they talk about, you know, chi energy and, and stuff. And, and also Reiki, that it's channeling the energy, not giving it up from your bone marrow, right? We're channeling this from this energy source that we all belong to. So anyway, I wanted to make sure that I cleared that up, that these are not mutually exclusive, but actually go together. And so Susan says, you know, we often imagine that putting others before ourselves is a sign of weakness, but research suggests it's actually a stealth superpower. The most generative people have better long-term well-being than others. So this is also very Gandhi, right? So when, you know, Gandhi would say, super paraphrased, you know, if we're not feeling well you know we're not experiencing wellness we're, we're blue we're down he'd say so get up and go do something for somebody else you know put somebody else focus on somebody else kind of get out of your own head go hold go hold the door open for somebody go if you see somebody struggling carrying groceries go help them or even a more planned something like helping out at a soup kitchen or um you know just with a total stranger this this also neurologically speaking leads to a dopamine fix, which is maybe uh, the universe's, you know, the higher power, God for me, or source or whatever. Maybe it's the universe's way of, of, you know, kind of pulling us out of ourselves into doing good things for others. I don't know. And so Susan says, it's often thought that feeling good about yourself derives from being able to look back with pride on your accomplishments, no matter how modest or grand. This focus on individual happiness is often referred to as Eudaimonic well-being. I actually do a whole class on this in um, Minecraft 2 the second Minecraft uh, about there's actually a good article there that I'm just thinking of in my head about the eudaimonic treadmill. you're trying to keep up trying to keep up with that. So here goes but there's another type of well-being that may be more important generativity based on the belief that it's important to care for others, specifically the next generation. People high in this trait are able to put themselves second and research suggests it is this cohort who feel more profoundly fulfilled as they progress through life. You now, this is actually bringing me straight to young motherhood when, um, as many of you know who, uh, who listen to uh, our pop, my podcast, that my husband and I are, are blessed with five now young adult children. We call them the Fab Five and they are all close in age. So I was at home with them for quite a while. And I remember the delicate balance, very, very difficult, very challenging, to keep myself filled up. And we live way out in the middle of nowhere, so it's not like I can just dip out for 15 minutes and go read a book at at uh, you know a you know a, a, a bistro or something. And so I remember how hard it was to to try to do those small things for myself to keep myself filled up. And I definitely got depleted. I would, I'm absolutely admitting that there are times when. And that's what, you know, women friends are good for that and everything, but they were all on the same stage. So we tried to get together when we could, though it was challenging um, all living out here as well, because the five kids were absolutely first, no question about it. And I think that's what we're talking about here. So like I was saying earlier, it's not that they're, the filling yourself up and the generativity of putting other people first are mutually exclusive. They're not. We're not talking about a codependent way of putting people first. We're getting all kinds of um self-esteem, you know, bolts of self-esteem from running ourselves on the ground, being the only one to take everybody's kids to the baseball games every week or being the only one baking the brownies for the PTO every week. That's that's codependent. It's different than genuinely and authentically um taking, you know, doing do a you know, a conscious act of kindness for somebody. Because and typically when it's when it's when it's authentic, right, that's mindful giving versus mindless giving. Mindless giving is the codependent who's running around being everybody's everything and then then possibly getting resentful because nobody's appreciating her or noticing her. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about mindful giving where we come from a filled up place. We do something kind, which even fills us up more. Not not the ego jolt, but an actual authentic good feeling. Susan gives us some stats. I'm a fan of just a little, well, actually, I, I'm actually involved in a research project right now, so I like, I like statistics. Um, however, for for conversational articles and things, I think it's important to not be super heavy on that, yet to give one or two is a foundation that kind of supports everything, I'm a big fan of that because it gives it credibility. So Susan says, um, in a recent study of generativity and well-being, A research team studied 271 participants in the Rochester Adult Longitudinal Study. Those are incredible. When when a a longitudinal study obviously means goes on for a long time, we really find stuff out in that way. So this one went went across a 12-year period from 2000 to 2012. So she says that the findings supported our prediction that people who became more generative over time also grew in their sense of personal fulfillment. No big surprise there. And then she said those who didn't, on the other hand, had a declining sense of overall well-being. And you know, once again, it's very important when, you know, being generative. Generative is authentic. So it's very important to differentiate between mindless giving and mindful giving again, because mind you know you know how you feel. And of course, there's a dopamine fix when you do something nice for someone, though mindful giving, you have this authentic, you won't feel depleted. You'll feel filled up not in the ego way because that will pass rather quickly but just the main thing is you won't feel drained somebody again who's running around people pleasing all over the place and rescuing they get drained resentful they're not noticed you know the authentic self doesn't need any of that because she feels whole and complete not that we don't enjoy feeling you know hearing nice things and you know and people liking us but the person who's authentically giving doesn't need that she can keep cranking along doing good things for people without feeling depleted resentful and unnoticed and so Susan goes on to say that the benefit derived from putting other people before yourself counters the idea that well-being can come only from that eudaimonic feeling of achieving our own personal goals. I was just thinking about Eric Erickson, um, looking at this, and she actually brings him up. And of course, he, he's a um, developmental psychologist from back in the fifth, fifth. I don't want to say 50s, I could be wrong about that one, but... Um, Eric Erickson, anyway, had his eight stages, which I've actually taught before in a developmental class. And he's spot on accurate. Obviously, things get outdated, you know, as time goes by. But he's still got, I think he's still, he really has, he's left his mark as far as we kind of graduate from one phase to the next. So it's interesting because he has one, Eric Erickson has one. He he proposed um, this phase was generativity versus stagnation. So in in this model, is the people who stagnate become more and more self focused, spending money on endless home redecoration, expensive vacations, and beauty treatments. It may seem counterintuitive that the best way to feel good is not even to think about how good you feel, but our study suggests that it lies in a very different type of pursuit. So yeah, so very cool. That was inspired by Susan Kraus Whitbourne today, uh, writes for Psychology Today as far as generativity as a superpower. And I very much was, I was, I guess, not surprised, but I guess I was a little. I mean, just, it was also just like appeared in the article um, to see that she had brought Eric Erickson in because, you know, he's, he's a, he's an oldie, but a goodie, I guess you say, right. From, from a long time ago. And again, they all eventually get a little bit outdated, but she is right when talking about his stage of generativity versus stagnation and people in their later years, you know, reflect back and like, did I make my mark? Was it? Did I, did I, you know, did I make a difference? And, and can I still make a difference, right? And do something. And it really does matter because when people are not out there doing good things for, for other people, um, according to Eric Erickson, and, and also uh, Susan Krause-Whitborne, they get stagnant. And when I think of the word stagnant, well, I guess cause we're out in Vermont, maybe I think of a, of a pond with all kinds of goop and sloppy, muddy, snapping turtles, Probably some leeches that's right and, and smells stagnant just makes me think of lack of growth and with the pond thing my visual I think of it's not just not just lack of growth but like smells like just no signs of life like no no fresh water running through no fresh life running through and I don't know for me that isn't any kind of way I'd want to land in my later years and so we've all got it in us right we're all energy sources wearing different outfits spiritual beings having a human experience so embrace your generativity as a superpower get out there and do stuff for people and it just will not only help them but it 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 enhances a direct you know um augment on our own well-being and then um as as susan stated there have been a gazillion study especially that the the uh very famous, also longitudinal study, the famous Harvard study, talks about, you know, uh, from a positive psychology perspective, those who live the longest lives uh, also have have very strong positive relationships. And obviously, generativity can only further enhance this because it's all about connection, right? And so there you go. Embrace your superpower of generativity. This is Kimberly Quinn signing off from the beautiful Northern Vermont. Have a mindful, very generative day.